This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, the other thing that we started last week was a new series called Made for This. We're on a discovery in a series to help each one of us recognize this fact that God created you personally, specifically, with a goal in mind. You know, the reality is, is in our culture, in our society, we can be moving so fast and so busy that we actually bump along in life instead of being intentional in life. Before you know it, a month has gone, six months have gone, a year or two have gone by, and you can stop and think, where did it all go by and what did I accomplish? And that's part of the heart we have behind this series is to really stop and realize God has a purpose for you. Now, we could say this. Our mission as a church is to live like Jesus and share his love. That covers every one of our lives. But what about your part of that specifically? And how did God create you? And why did he create you with the personality, the gifts, the passions, the abilities that you have? And how should we look at those today? And I want you to stop and just not think about everybody else today. I'm going to ask you to go a little bit inside today and discover what God says about you. And last week, we we came away with this thought that we were made by God. We were made to be like God in his own image. He created us and we were made for God. And everybody has a design in their life for, the, for their living. You have a design. I have a design. And we looked at a scripture last week that I, I want to go back to because I really feel it's foundational for us even today as we begin to look at you personally to understand God's heart for you. It's the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter two, and it's gonna be on the screen. And he says this, we are God's masterpiece. Would you just say that word with me, masterpiece? Come on, online, in the room, say it one more time. Say masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece, for he's created you anew in Christ Jesus so you can do the good things he planned long ago. You know the challenge I find is most of us don't think we're a masterpiece. A lot of us would see ourselves very different, but I don't know if we'd use that word when it comes to describing the the creation God put within us. Uh, Some years ago, I took up pencil drawing and um, I remember working through a workbook and it told you kind of like, you know, here's how you draw pictures and you you look at this and then you do this stage and you frame it out this way. And and I found this picture of an old pickup, like a 39 Ford pickup in in a field in front of an old barn. And so I I took the task and decided I was gonna draw that. And I have to be honest, um, it wasn't bad. And I remember signing my name in the corner and uh, put my, my, the date on it, and I gave it to my dad for a gift. You know, and I'm not sure he was excited about it, but I was excited about it. I was probably in my early 20s as far as I can remember. And it hangs in, he's gone to be to heaven now, but it hangs in their house today. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it. If that were to go up at auction, right? Pencil drawing by Walter Madison. How many people think you'd bid on it? No, no, you know who would bid on it? My mom, right? Every mom loves their kids, right? But now, even though it was nice looking and it was decent and had a nice frame on it, can you imagine if in that same auction, the next item up was a a lost Picasso? Has anybody ever seen a Picasso painting? You know, like, I mean, have you ever wondered if maybe he lived in Oregon or Washington and used byproducts before he painted? Right? I mean, they're kind of whacked out. They're a little funky. I mean, people's heads over here and bodies over here. But I guarantee you that if it went up on auction next, it would go for millions of dollars. 
right? What's the difference? Isn't it the person who created that masterpiece? The name Picasso on something makes it a lot more value than Walter Madison on a drawing. And what brings a piece, a value to a piece of artwork and a masterpiece is the artist. And what, what David or what is Paul is saying in this is that you are God's masterpiece. You see, his name is all over you. His fingerprints are all over you. The King James says you are his workmanship. He personally, individually, with intent and passion, he created you. You are a piece of artwork in the masterful, masterful hands of God. But how come so many of us don't live that way? And the reality is, is that God had a purpose for you when he created you. From the moment that you were born. And even before that, he had an idea in your mind. He has a dream for you. You know what that dream is? God's dream is for you to find your place on his team. And today I want to take kind of a whole different angle on this. I want to talk to you about discovering your purpose. To discover how you were made to understand the beautiful gift that God has put within you. Um, I, I love to read about David. And David is one of those people in the Bible. If you're, if you're new to church, he was a king in the Old Testament history of Israel. And, and he was an amazing king. And, and you can read multiple chapters of his story. He started as a young boy, discovering the purpose of God for his life. And I love the Psalms that he, that he wrote that really talks about his discovery of how God made him. In Psalms 139, verse 13 through 16, listen to what he says. He says, you made all my, my delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. I remember reading that and thinking that just meant that he created him physically. But if you go into the original language, back in that time, they thought the inward part of the body is the seed of all emotion. And what David's really saying is, God, you made me in such a way. You personally created me. My thoughts, what drives me, what motivates me, how I respond to situations, my attitude. God, you created all of this called me. And he says, thank you. Everybody shout thank you. Thank you, God, for making me, listen to this, wonderfully complex. Anybody who's married knows what wonderfully complex means, right? There's that part that we recognize. David's recognizing I'm complex. I, I've got some uniqueness. I've got some challenges. I'm not like everybody else. And they say that the more that we grow in discovering about DNA, the more science proves the uniqueness of who you are. They figure about 20 billion people have been born since the beginning of time in Adam and Eve. And yet when they begin to unravel DNA, they say the chances of two people in all of history being alike are so large they can't even compute them. Even science is beginning to tell you, you are unique because God created you in such a way. There will never be another you. Somebody say, thank God. Right? <laughs> David says, I'm wonderfully, marvelously complex. And he goes on to say, your workmanship is that same word we saw from Paul, that masterpiece workmanship. He says, that workmanship is marvelous. And here's a key phrase, how well I know it. Somewhere along the line, David came to understand how God created him. He looked at his life journey and he, he says, God, thank you. And how wonderfully and marvelously I've been made. Here's a real challenge I find in us as people. And even in our community and our, our culture today, though, is that if it's really true that God made me wonderfully complex, 
He marvelously created me, then why don't I feel that often? I recognize one of the great enemies of recognizing the gift of God in us is comparisons. Stop and think about what comparison does in your life and in mine. You see, too many times, insecurities, brokenness, challenges, we know who we are and we begin to look at who everybody else is. And, and the challenge is we don't compare brokenness to brokenness. We usually compare to what we see. And what I realize is we all like to put on a great front for everybody else. I think one of the great tools of today is social media. But I think if there's a danger in it all is, is how much comparison it brings into our lives if we're not careful. Do you know what I've discovered about like Facebook? I, I get on Instagram once in a while. I'm on Facebook periodically, but I, I never, I always find that we take pictures, like if you're a married couple, you always take pictures of your spouse at a great dinner. We don't seem to take pictures when we're fighting, <laughs> right? I mean, have you ever, I mean, I, I, I love the girls that always take, you know, selfies of, of when their like, makeup's all done and their hair looks great and they're getting ready. Nobody rolls out of bed, no makeup, ugly face, one eye glued shut, you know, and says, hey, I'm gonna take a selfie and post it. And I think it's indicative of how we live life. We even come to church and we put our best clothes on and our best face on. And how many of you, don't raise your hand, had a fight on the way to church with somebody? And we come here and how you doing? Man, I'm doing good. When really, you got a challenge. I didn't have a fight with my wife on the way to church today because I rode by myself. <laughs> and here's the danger. We begin to look at the beautiful part of everybody's life and don't see the real parts and we begin to compare to something nobody can ever compare to. And instead, we need to discover who we are in God and quit looking at everybody else because every time we compare, we do one of two things. We either look worse or we get arrogant and feel we're better and neither one is the way to live with God. And so we need to make sure that we, we step back. And David said it. God, I just, I thank you. And I know that you made me wonderfully complex, marvelously made. And he says, and every day in my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And somehow David got a hold that God, all of that comes together for the purpose you created me. Not everybody was king, but David was called to be king. And God created him in such a way that he could fulfill that. And the challenge is, is that we often look at our uniqueness and declare it as bad instead of looking at our uniqueness and saying, God, how do you want to use it? And your uniqueness is actually God's workmanship in your life and is the reason that you exist. We've all got that weird Uncle Harold in our family, right? Too many of us feel like that old weird Uncle Harold and we haven't discovered how God wants to even use what we think is weird, but he's going to use it to connect to the right kind of people. And I want to say to you in our church, if you don't fit the norm, you still fit here. If you don't feel fit the, what you think is the, is the city of Bible church uh, kind of challenge here, there is nothing here. You all fit here. And every one of you, God loves you and we love you and we believe you have a purpose and you don't have to be like everybody else. You just gotta be you. Now, does that mean God wants to grow us and change us? Absolutely. You know how I know? Because God used all kinds of people in the Bible, Right? And he took them all on a journey to grow that gift and to change them and help them mature. 
I look at Peter. Man, I love Peter. Peter's a knucklehead. He is such a knucklehead in the, in the, in the Gospels. I mean, Peter, who just in one moment, I think he, he's just declaring, Jesus, you're the son of God. I believe in you. And I wonder if maybe when Jesus said, man, that's, that's right. God's revealed that to you. Suddenly, what does he do the next moment? He's rebuking God that he just declared God. He's rebuking him for thinking wrong. I mean, Peter is, he's schizophrenic sometimes. <laughs> always saying the wrong thing, right? He's always getting himself in trouble. He's supposed to be showing God's love and instead he takes a sword out and cuts the guy's ear off. Jesus, I want to walk on water. In a few moments, he's flailing around soaking wet. Come on, how many Peters are in the room? Gives me hope because I'm a lot like Peter. I think Peter was the class clown. I think he was always in trouble in school. I know because I have a kindred spirit with Peter. But how about Paul? I look at Paul and I think Paul. I, you know, we have this Bible perspective of Paul, of this guy writing letters and always kind and gentle. You read his letters, man. He's forceful. He's a dominant kind of guy. He's not, he, he, with all his heart, he persecuted the church. And then with all his heart, he built the church. He wasn't gonna let anything get in his way. If a relationship was challenging, he never let it stop him from feeling the call of God in his life. You know, I think Peter would make a great modern day drama show. You know, I mean, uh, Paul, I think he'd make a great actor about a TV lawyer, you know? I mean, he's just got that kind of grit to him. How about Barnabas? Anybody ever heard of Barnabas? Barnabas, they, they called him the son of encouragement. And that's not because his dad's name was encouragement. It's just who he was. And you begin to look at him and he's the guy that was always putting his arm around somebody. He's the guy who went and got Paul when nobody else would talk to him when he became a believer. And he walked with him and he helped him build relationships and he, he sold fields because people were needy. He was just a guy of compassion. I'll tell you what, you wanted Peter around in a party. You wanted Paul to, to be your defender if you needed help, but you wanted Barnabas every day in your world to just make you feel good about yourself. And all throughout scripture, we see all these different ways God created people and he used them. And I just want to talk to you first about your personality. I want to I just kind of take a little more systematic approach and ask you to, I'm even going to give you homework today. And I want to talk to you for a moment about your personality. How many have a personality in the room? How many online? Come on, wave at me. Just seeing who's alive, who's awake. How many wish your personality was different sometimes? How many of you get trouble with your personality sometimes, right? God's working on us, but they're what he gave us. I think about personality and I realize that personality influences so much of what we do, so many of our decisions. Probably the job you have has something to do with the personality God gave you, right? I bet even who you married, if you're a married person in the room, your personality had something to do with who you're attracted to, partly because opposites attract because they need a different kind of person. How many spouses are thankful that opposites attract, right? Come on. Three of you. Well, three of you are glad. <laughs> Sounds like we need to do a marriage series. Your personality. Boy, it has a lot to do with you. And there's, there's, there's four kinds of personalities I want to talk about. And these aren't, this is one way to describe them. It's one way that's a fairly common way that, that we actually use around the church and help and discover people and, and uh, even for positions we're hiring and that type of thing. But it's called a, a DISC personality profile. And it's just called DISC because there's four letters that you remember, a D, I, S, and C. 
And I want you just to kind of stop and listen for a moment. This isn't the completeness of all you're going to learn about it because we're going to take you online a little bit later and you'll discover some more aspects of it. But, but one of the things I want to say about personality is it doesn't, you might have a combination of these personality aspects. You might be strong one or you might have a blend of some, but you kind of fall into different categories. But generally we tend to fall dominantly in one. For instance, the first one's the letter D for dominant. These are, this is again what I think Paul was. These are people that, Man, they're going to pull everybody along with them. They're going to see the goal. And God help you if you get in their way because they're just going to take you out. But they're doing it hopefully for the right reasons. Anybody married to someone like that? Anybody know someone like that? These would be, in the work world, these would be like attorneys, CEOs, entrepreneurs. They're people that are just, man, they, they're, they're strong. They're going to take you. you. You just feel compelled. I have to go with them if they're leading you somewhere. I think that was Paul. The, the letter I is for an influencer. These are people, they don't, they don't drive everybody somewhere. They're kind of maybe the center of attention. They're the center of the party. They, they kind of gather everybody around and they always take everybody together in a herd. These are the people that you just kind of go, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I really like them and so I'm going. These are people like, I laughed when I was looking at people that follow different careers. Beauticians, they said, often are an influencer. How about counselors and coaches? The people that come alongside of you and they help change your thinking and they help shape who you are. There's also the, the letter S means steady. Boy, I am thankful for steady people. These are people that they think consistently. They're, they're, they, now this doesn't mean, again, emotionally they're just steady all the time, but the way they process and the way they live and the way they think. Like doctors, I, I mean, how many are thankful for a steady doctor, right? I don't know about you, I do not want a, a, a schizophrenic doctor when I go for a shot, right? I mean, I want them solid, steady. There's people that God created that way. It's like doctors, social workers, financial advisors. They, they just think in a certain pattern that, I, look at, I like it like this way. They're, they're like on a bowling alley. They never get into the gutters. They just always stay in the middle. These are the people that are safe. They probably don't like change a whole lot, right? Dominance, influence, change. Safe, it's unsafe to change. Maybe that's you. You don't like change, you're probably a, an S or maybe a C, a compliant. That's the last one. What's a compliant? Well, a compliant, or they also call them conscientious. These are the people that, they've got to have everything in perfect order. I would ask you to raise your hands, but you won't do it probably because maybe everything's not right for you to raise your hands. It's accountants. It's, it's people like, like architects and computer programmers where everything just needs to be perfectly in line and linear. Now, let me ask you the question, which one's the best? None of them. Everyone was created by God. But you know what I found? We tend to like those that are like us in personality a little more than those that are opposite of us. And yet, you know what we need the most is we need those that are the opposite of us to help balance us out in our life. And every single one of those, the dominant, the influencer, the steady, the compliant, you need them. We need them in our church. You need them in your workplace. You need them on your teams. And then there's another aspect that just kind of wraps around all of this. And it's the aspect of we tend to either be people-focused or task-focused when it comes to our personality. Here's how you know which one you are. If you, if you go to a group of people and they suck the life out of you, you're probably more task-focused than you are people-focused. 
But if you had to think about going and completing a whole 15 point checklist today, and that drains you, you're probably more people focused than you are task focused. Now there are a few schizophrenic people like myself that is both. And when I came and was working with the Rocky Butte team, Dylan will tell you, we have a conversation. We had it this last week. I wear two hats. I wear a fun hat and I have a work hat. And they can switch in a moment's notice, which messes up the team. They're all telling jokes and laughing and I've switched hats and they're still in the fun zone. I'm not in the fun zone anymore, but I forgot to tell them. So even in there, we have these wonderfully complex personalities. Anybody kind of beginning to see some parts for you? Well, here's what we want to do because in this time, we don't have time to go through every single aspect of this. We've created a, a page on our website. And, and before we go to that website address, I want everybody to raise your right hand. Online, I want you to raise your hand too. Uh, Facebook Live, everybody repeat after me. I will not go on the website until after service is over. So help me God. And if I violate it, make me bald. Okay? Now, almost all of you, except Pastor Mark, I'll know if you cheated. Okay, so let's stay off it till we get done with service. But we've created an assessment for each of the four areas we're gonna talk about today. There is a personality assessment that you can go onto that webpage and click on it, and it will load, download a PDF that will take you probably five to 10 minutes to really walk through it and help discover, if you never have, kind of your personality. And each one of these that we're gonna talk about, there's a separate assessment that I'm gonna ask you this week, not now, this week, I'm giving you as homework to go through and do each one of those assessments because it's gonna help us for next week when we come back and we go through how to make a difference with, who, with discovering how God made you for your purpose. So, everybody shout personality. Now shout gifting. gifting. Come on. God not only made us with personality, he gives us gifts and our spiritual gifts. It's so amazing to me that God gifts every one of us with an aspect of a spiritual gift that is a grace gift from him. Maybe you're not aware of it, but spiritual gifts still exist today. Every spiritual gift that we see in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and 2 Peter, we see all these spiritual gifts that are laid out and and you know what? If you're a believer, God has deposited some of those in you. Now, let's understand the Holy Spirit's in every one of us the moment we accept Christ. Jesus even said, the, the Father's gonna send the Spirit. He's gonna not only be with you, but he's going to be in you. And so he lives within us, but it's that same Holy Spirit that 1 Corinthians tells us, it's the one and only Spirit who distributes all the gifts. He alone, listen to me, he alone decides which gift each person should have. I can find even sometimes we can wish God had given us a different spiritual gift. I listen to Fee up here leading with Jeremy and I can hear their voice a little bit more and I think, oh God, why not me? Why did you make my voice crack and seem to hit three different keys on the same song? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And the danger with spiritual gifts is this. The Bible tells me the Holy Spirit knew exactly what I needed and he gave me everything I needed but oftentimes I can look at what I don't have and desire that instead of learning to take what God's given me and use it and grow it. And every single one of you, if you're a believer in this room, on Facebook Live or online, you've got a gift within you that maybe you need to discover. Because as you do, here's the beauty of it. 
If you haven't discovered it and you're not using it, then our church is lacking because of it. Because the apostle Peter, he said this, whenever you have a gift, use whatever gift you've received to do what? Serve others as a faithful steward of God's grace. And when every time God gives you a gift, there's a grace that goes along with it. The Holy Spirit, he graces you in that area. And there's some amazing gifts, but here's the challenge I think with spiritual gifts we have done in the church. We make some more important than others maybe. I think sometimes we made them more important than others. We look at maybe something that in my, my particular role in discovering who God made me and as a pastor and a, a preacher and a communicator, knowing my personality and all that God put together, we can look and think, well, maybe myself or Jeremy leading worship, we're the most important gifted people in the room. Can I tell you, that's an absolute lie. Some are more visible and there's maybe less opportunity for some to fill that role. But every single one of you have, have the desire and the need that was built into you to be an important part of the family of God. You're part of the body and you need to recognize it's as important what God has called you to do as what he's called me to do. And do you know that I couldn't even do what I'm supposed to do without the rest of the body of Christ doing what they're supposed to do? And I look at these spiritual gifts like, oh my gosh, I think Kirsten said it earlier, Pastor Rick, who's back in Blong, he's like the people's pastor. He just exudes heart and love. There's a gift God gave him to love people and to lead people a certain way. Some of you though, you got gifts that, man, I wish I had, and I've just given up trying. I wish I had a mercy gift. You ask my family, I got no mercy gift. Man, it's just... I'm thankful for mercy. I'm thankful for people who think about people's brokenness and, 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 and the parts of their life. They're the ones who on our team remind me, Walter, we need to be doing this or thinking that. I gotta be honest. I would have never thought about sending a truck of water and Gatorade to the fire guys. It takes somebody with a mercy gift who sees those kind of things that thinks there's people that, that are needing something. Come on. How about the gifts of helps? Those that just... You sense when somebody needs something and you just step in and it's your act of service that God uses as your spiritual gift that makes a difference in somebody's life. Every one of them is for the church and for those we're trying to reach that don't, know yet, don't yet know Christ. It's your spiritual gift and you need to discover it and you need to celebrate it. We sometimes think, you know, like, well, if I had the gift of prophecy, well, I'll tell you what, we don't need everybody prophesying. We need some people who will step in and, and have the gift of hospitality. I love people with the gift of hospitality because whenever I go to their house, I eat really well for some reason. You come to my house, you might get Papa Murphy's if it's up to me. What did God put in you? Listen to some of the gifts that are so amazing. Helps, faith, administration, evangelism, exhortation, hospitality, discernment. Man, we need people with the gift of discernment. Healing, miracles, prophecy, knowledge. Mercy, pastoring, teaching, wisdom. These are just a few. Let me ask you this. How do you use them for the body of Christ and to reach others if you don't know them? So that's why we put an assessment on there. On that website you're not supposed to go to right now. But I want you to look at it this weekend. I did it this week just to kind of revisit it. And it took me, I think, about seven to ten minutes. Now, if you're a perfectionist in your personality, it might take you an hour. I don't know. But I want to ask you to go online and and to discover that for yourself. The third area, very quickly, is, is how God actually energizes you. How he, he built you a certain way with passions, if I could say it this way. You have passions that drive you. 
Now there's all kinds of passions. I, I am, I'm honestly passionate about ice cream. I'm, I'm passionate. I haven't figured out how to make a, a connect group out of it yet for our connect group launch in two weeks. But if I could, I might. How many would join me? Just curious. Wow. We could do different subsets with flavors, right? We could. <laughs> there are some things that really don't matter, but I'm amazed how many times there's even things in our life. Like Larry Mascot, he was here this morning. I was with him at a trap shoot. And I, I have to say I enjoy trap shooting, but I'm not a pro at it. And I, I don't know if I'm passionate about it, but I enjoy it, but he's passionate. You know what? I went to a dinner with him with all the guys we were in this tournament, people that don't know Jesus doing a dinner and he's using his passion as a way to reach people that don't know Christ. We're not preaching at everybody at the dinner, but it's just building those relationships. How do we leverage the passions in our life? And I'm really kind of narrowing it down to these two areas, the, the things that the people you're passionate about and the areas of our culture you're passionate about. I'm thankful for a growing area of passion for me is, is really this issue about diversity in, in our culture with Renee on a team and we get together once a month and having conversations. I'll tell you what, I've become passionate. You know how I know? Because I'm studying it outside of our small group that gets together. It's becoming something I'm learning and growing on. Robin and I personally, we have a real passion for young adults and young marrieds because that stage of life in that 20 to 30 something, there's so many decisions that are made that are critical for the success of your future. And again, we go back and we think that every, if you're a young married, you think you shouldn't be having some of the challenges you have. It doesn't seem like anybody else does. So we hide those instead of bringing them out in the open and just saying, that's normal. We often tell young couples when we're doing premarital, you tell them, look, you're going to need as much postmarital as you do premarital because premarital is all theory and fantasy. It's not till you're stuck together in a house 24 seven that you really got to work it out. But there's a passion we have. And how about the passions you have? Where are those passions both in the church and for people? And I'm really grateful for, I think about Fred Whaley in our first service, who's so passionate about helping men live a life of purity. Let's bring it out in the open. Let's talk about the 60% in this room that might struggle with, with impurity, impure thoughts and, and pornography and that. Come on, let's, let's not just bury it. Let's, let's help people find a place of freedom. How about we use our passions to grow and learn how to put what God put deep within us. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about it next week, but even some of those area passions of, of some of the places you can find your place to serve that, that really, it takes passion to do because I love what, uh, let me just throw it this way. I love what, um, what Steve Jobs said, and it's really impacted me. And I know he was kind of a, he's kind of an unlovely guy in some ways. So I'm not promoting his lifestyle, but he said something about passion I thought was very true. He said, this is what he said about passion. He said, you have to be, with passion, you have to be burning with an idea. You have to be burning with passion for a problem or a wrong that we want to write because if you're not passionate from the start, you'll never stick it out. Passion is the thing that will carry you through because so much of what God's gonna ask you to do is gonna take stick to itiveness. And it requires a passion for you to let come alive in you in an area that God created you so that you can actually accomplish what he has for you passion. It's amazing. Barbara Cochran one time said, you can't fake passion. You just can't fake it. And there's an assessment. I realized that on the assessment, it's not even all the passions that might be there. There's some that you can 
begin to identify. And I'm hoping you write down some of the passions that you have that we haven't even thought about. The last area is your abilities. Many of us have learned, especially maybe the older we get, we've learned skills. It may not have even been something we started with, but we learn how to do something. God uses that. I love the fact, I mentioned at first service, Ingo is a, one of the gentlemen in our church. And I met Ingo when we had a work day here. And he just came because he's skilled in, in carpentry and working with his hands. Man, he's doing what God created him for, but he learned, had to learn a skill. How many of you have skills that the body of Christ need? You've looked at it maybe just as part of your job or what you've had to learn, but God has a different intention for some of that. He created you with abilities, but you had to learn them and grow them. And many of us are still growing in some of those abilities. You know, I stop and I think about those abilities and how they can begin to even shape somebody's life. If I were to say Michael Jordan, what do you think about? Basketball, right? If I were to say Walt Disney, what do you think about? A man who wanted to create family entertainment. His vision, his passion all came together and he grew his abilities. If I were to say your name, what do people think about you? There's something that that you've developed, you've gotten good at, that maybe you've never looked at as part of what you bring to the family of God. And I wanna go right back to the very part of where we started. If we could begin to understand, even though we're wonderfully complex, the beauty and how God marvels at what he created in you, we begin to bring all those areas together. What you begin to discover is what I call your sweet spot. It's a term that comes from sports and they talk about it in tennis or they might talk about it in baseball, but I'm a little more familiar with it in golf. If you begin to look at all four of those areas, your, your personality, your gifting, your passions, your abilities, as those four come together, it creates a little thing called the sweet spot. In golf, it's when you hit the ball in the perfect exact spot on the golf club that you should. It causes that ball to go further, farther with less work. My challenge is I very rarely find that sweet spot in golf, but I'm trying to find it in my life. You've got a sweet spot. And what happens is when you begin to discover that sweet spot, it then helps you find where you fit, where you fit on the dream team, where you fit in church, where fit in God's purpose and both, both in your personal life and as us as a family, you begin to find your perfect, your perfect place that you fit. And I wanna challenge you because there's a challenge with this fit. You can have places that you'd like to fit, but they really don't fit you. For me, it's not on the worship team. I can have false expectations and only be frustrated because it will probably never happen. There's places I can be comfortable. I might be able to, but the best place for you is to find where everything comes together and it fits for you. And this morning, I want to take us right back to where we started. And that is, some of us just need to see how God made us and say, thank you, God. To get rid of the comparisons, the competition, to no longer try to look and see what everybody else is doing, but realize God put his fingerprints on you when he created you as his masterpiece. You are unique in God. 